unanticipated, totally unexpected. Here it is, bam, life came to you. And it uh, wasn't something you planned for, wasn't something you wanted, wasn't something you plotted for, but all I want you to find yourself facing this tremendous uh, challenge, this tremendous difficulty. Let's look how he responds. Genesis 39, and, and we're going to start with verse 1. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an Egyptian officer of Pharaoh, the captain of the bodyguard, brought him, bought him excuse me, from the Ishmaelites who had taken him down there. Potiphar is a military man, captain of the king's bodyguard. Some people say he was actually the, the executioner, the chief executioner. This is not a soft person. Genesis 39.2, it says, The Lord was with Joseph, so he became a successful man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. Now, the passage does not tell us how long Joseph was with Potiphar, but most historians feel it was about 10 years he's working in Potiphar's house. And one of the first results of his success there is that he's actually brought into the home. He's not working out in the fields, working in these. He's actually been brought into a place of trust, brought into the home. And then verse 3. Now, his master saw that the Lord was with him. And how the Lord caused all that he did to prosper in his hand. So Joseph found favor in his sight and became his personal servant. And he made him overseer in his house. And all that he owned he put in his charge. And it came about that from the time he made him overseer in his house and over all that he owned, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house on account of Joseph. Thus the Lord's blessing was upon all that he owned in the house and in the field. And so he left everything he owned in Joseph's charge, and with him there he did not concern himself with anything except the food with which he ate. Now that was, that's a pretty powerful thing right there. He sees such success, that he sees Joseph as such a person that he can trust, uh, that he has confidence in, that he places everything into the hands of Joseph so that the only thing he had to worry about when he came home is what's for dinner. It's kind of like you here at Elam, right? That's, you know, what, what do they have for lunch today? You know, what's for dinner, you know? That's the only thing. Everything else was in somebody else's hands, right? Everything else was in somebody else's hands. It was in Joseph's hands. And, and so I want to ask you a question right now. You know, it says that he, he saw the success of this guy. How did he discern that Joseph was a different kind of a guy? Was it spiritual? Did he look at him? I, you know, I look at Pharaoh's bodyguard, and I have a tendency to think that maybe he was not necessarily a super spiritual guy from everything we can tell. Uh, maybe he just looked at success. You know, he just saw, wow, hey, that guy's having some successful experiences, you know. But, but of course, we see people have successful ex experiences. Sometimes it's just a matter of luck. It's not a matter of of anything spiritual. But I think he looked at this guy and he saw some characteristics in him. And I, I want you to see in your, in your notes here some of the things that I think he saw in Joseph that made him know this was a guy he could trust and this was a guy whose success flowed out of his life. Okay, first thing is this, Joseph's integrity. Joseph's integrity. When he said he would do something, he would do it. Joseph was a guy who kept his promises. And uh, the, the guy had tremendous integrity. Integrity comes from the same word that we get our, our word integer, 
which is the, you know, the, like a word for number or one. When you say somebody is a person of integrity, what it means is that there's no dividedness inside of them. They're one. That is, when you interact with them, what you see is, you've heard people use the expression, what you see is what you get, basically. What you see coming from that person's life is who they actually are. That's what it means to be a person of integrity. There's no hiddenness. There's no mask. There's no shielding in any kind of way. The person that you see is the real person. He's a person of integrity. And I think Joseph's diligence is the second blank there. Joseph's diligence. You know, um, when you read in the Old Testament, like in the Psalms and stuff, and it says, it says like they, they sought the Lord diligently. And uh, depending on what version you read, it might be interpreted this way. They sought him early. The idea of it is a diligent person is a person who gets up early and goes after it. You know what I mean? It's the, first, it's the first thing that's on their mind. They're a diligent person. They, they come in that way. And I think they, you see Joseph's diligence. Now, it's interesting to me because, you know, all this tremendous catastrophe that Joseph has gone through, this losing of everything, and yet you see these qualities coming up out of the guy. Why doesn't he, why isn't he just filled with bitterness? Why isn't he just angry all the time? Why doesn't he just feel like, man, somebody gypped me? I've been cheated all, you know, in some kind of way. But instead, we see integrity, we see diligence. And then Joseph's attitude. The guy was not a complainer, right? He obviously was not walking around whining and all this kind of thing. He, he has an attitude, you know, uh, that brings altitude to his life. He, he seems like he's able to, to go for it in some way. And then Joseph's prayer life. I imagine he had a prayer life like Daniel. Probably, you know, he was, he was seeking the Lord. He was praying, right? And, and, and Potiphar could see this aspect of his life. And I think probably uh, Potiphar heard Joseph's testimony. Maybe at some point... Joseph said that, you know, 10 years of being together, I can imagine Potiphar saying to Joseph sometime, Joseph, you know, I bought you there in that, in that slave market and everything like that, but tell me, what, what was your story? What was your family like? Where did you come from? And I could hear Joseph telling him about his family and his background and the betrayal of his brothers and all this. And the, the man looks at this guy and goes, wow, this guy is nothing like you would expect him to be when he has gone through all of this. And all of it combines together in such a way that uh, Potiphar looks at Joseph and sees this is, a, this is a man of integrity. This is a man of success. This is a man I can trust. Uh, he, he, he's going he's to arise early. He's going to go after things. He's diligent. Okay, so let's go on there in uh, Genesis 39, looking at the second half of, uh, of verse 6. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And it came about after these events that his master's wife looked with desire at Joseph, and she said, lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, with me here my master does not concern himself with anything in the house, and he has put all that he owns in my charge. There is no one greater in this house than I, and he has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then, uh, then could I do this great evil and sin against God? As she spoke to Joseph day after day, he did not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her. So let's talk a little bit about sexual temptation. Joseph is facing a serious sexual temptation here right now. In your notes, one, 
Sexual temptation often comes strongly when we are in the midst of success. Uh, it's, it's interesting, you know, when a person is climbing up, when they're working, when they're trying to make their way and, and, and do that, a lot of times um, that's not when they get hit with their, with their greatest battles. A lot of times the greatest battles come to you when you've experienced a measure of success, when you've experienced favor, when some good things have come your way. Somehow you begin to forget what got you where you are and you, 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 you start to think to yourself, well, maybe, you know, I should do, the, you know, maybe I'm, like the rules don't apply to you or something. You, you, you start spreading out in that way. And that's, that's what we see with, with him. Um, you know, one of the greatest evangelists of the last century was Billy Graham. When I was a kid, it was, uh, you could speak to people who are, you know, in their 50s and 60s, and they, they would be able to, they would, they, they would, if you said Billy Graham, they immediately have an image that comes to their mind. And uh, many times, several times during a year, Billy Graham would have a, a TV show on major, uh, all the major networks, and they, would, and they would show the Billy Graham crusade. You don't see anything like that anymore, you, you know, see. but they would show the Billy Graham crusade, and Billy Graham would ha usually have some famous person that was on there with him, and then he would get up and he would preach. It was done like a church thing. It wasn't done like a, you know, we're sitting around like a, a talk show or something like this. He, it, was a, it was done, he would get up and he would preach in this thing. Well, Billy Graham, <clears throat> starting in about 1948, was experiencing tremendous success. He was a young man at that time, only in his 20s. And things were just getting going. And, and um, you know, before, they, he's preached to millions during that last part of the, of the century. But during that time, he was just getting things started. Success was just starting to come to him. Things were just starting to uh, come out. And uh, he, he developed something that he called the uh, Modesto Manifesto, the Modesto Manifesto. And this happened when they did a crusade in, in Modesto, California, and they, they, his key leaders that were with him doing these crusades, there was a team of several key guys that were with him, and they, they came together and they said, okay, when you think about evangelists, what are some of the problems that you see that are, that are there? And, um, and so they each went kind of to their own room and they wrote a list of issues that they saw when they were thinking of, a, they were just getting started in their evangelistic ministry, experiencing some tremendous success. And uh, they wrote a list of problems that they saw. They came back together again and their lists were very, very similar. And one of the issues that was on the list had to do with this whole issue of of, well, they, they did a lot of different things, but, but, you know, one of them had to do with taking offerings, for example. They said, you know, it seems like in a lot of these crusades and things like that, there's kind of a temptation uh, taking offerings for the guy who's the evangelist and things like that. And, and so he, they made a decision. And from then on, they, they, they didn't take necessarily offerings at the event, but they would do all of their fundraising prior to the event that was going on. And Billy Graham, he didn't, he didn't uh, get, you know, if they had big offerings or something, he didn't get anything. He got a paid a set salary. That was, he was accountable to a board and to people, and he just got paid a set salary. And one of the other areas that they, would, that they realized that there was a problem was in this whole area of sexual temptation. 
And so uh, you can read this if you read Billy Graham's biography. You can see this, the Modesto um, Manifesto. And you can even go online and type that in. And you, it's, it's a famous event that happened. But, but from that decision, that time, Billy Graham made some decisions that guided his, uh, everything that he did from that time. He would never be alone with a woman other than his wife. He, he just said, because of this, you have to realize the tremendous influence that this guy had. For many, many years, when they would put, you would put down, uh, they would do surveys in the United States, who is the most respected, I'm, I'm telling the truth, aren't I? Right, right? you remember, don't you? Who, who was the most respected person in the country, right? You know, now it's like a rock star or this thing, or you know, who is the most respected person? For many, many years, Billy Graham was the person's name that would come up over and over again as the most respected person in the country. The guy had tremendous influence. And so he realized this, and he just said, I have to put a protection. I have to make sure I am protected in this way. And he became very accountable in this area. And one of the things he did was uh, he, he wouldn't meet with anybody unless his wife was there, any other woman or anything like that. His rooms, while traveling, would be grouped with the other guys that were on his team. So the other guys that were on his team, they would all get rooms together so that there, nothing could be happening you know, aside. And for years, before Billy Graham went into any room, someone would go through the room first and sweep it before he ever walked into the room for fear that there'd be somebody inside of there that w once he walked in, they would be able to say, oh, Billy Graham did this or Billy. He, he didn't want to have any, any possibility, any opportunity for anything like that. And so he put this, these kinds of protections uh, in place. Uh, this was a very, very powerful thing. You know, I, I can't help but think of all that's going on right now, right? You, you guys are, if you listen to any news at all and all the different accusations that are being made against this one and against that one, it's just, it's just a, uh, such a powerful thing that's happening. But here was a guy who stood up early on and put in all kinds of protections, right? Because he was experiencing tremendous success and he wanted to be protected. Okay, number two, what are the reasons Joseph gives for refusing sexual temptation? So he, he, Joseph gives us several reasons why he, why he refuses. First of all, he respects Potiphar, right? That's the blank there, Potiphar. He values and, uh, the trust and the feelings of Potiphar, and he, the, he has withheld, withheld nothing from him. He's, he's loyal to his friend. Uh, and he just, he, he wouldn't consider doing something. Another thing we see is he respects himself. There is no one greater in this house than I, he says. You know, I want to say something to you. The higher the sense of destiny, the more protected you are. See, when you don't have self-respect, when you don't have a, you don't, you're not convinced God really wants to do something with you and use you, you become way more vulnerable because what life, what business, you know, what difference does it make? Your life doesn't really make that big a difference. It's not going to really do that much. So if I mess up here or mess up there, what's the big deal? It's no big deal. I'm nobody, right? And, uh, you know, this is such a powerful thing. You've got to get your sense of destiny. I remember when I was first starting in um, ministry, I went up to Oswego, New York, and 
I was beginning the basic college ministry you guys have heard about and, and working there on the campus at Oswego State. But I was having a lot of, uh, of uh, struggles. It wasn't coming together. Things were not growing at the way I thought they should grow and happening the way I thought they should happen. And, and at the same time, I had gotten married just the previous few months. And uh, my wife and I were not getting along. We were arguing all the time. We talk about our first year of marriage, and we laugh now. But at the time, it was terrible. We could not, we, could, we argued about everything. We could not get along. So I had the fact I was failing. It felt to me in my marriage, in my relationship with my wife, I felt like I was failing and starting to get basic off the ground, trying to make that vision occur and, and things begin to happen. And my life felt like a gray November day. You know what that feels like, don't you? You've been around here, haven't you? <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? When, the, when you look in every direction and there's no sign of blue in the sky at all, it's just gray in every direction, kind of hung over a little bit and, and just a little too cold, you know, and you're getting that little chill. And, and that's the way my whole life felt like that. It felt like a gray November day. And in the midst of that gray November day, uh, there, was a, there was a girl on campus. And it started with little things, little flirtations, little, little comments kind of being thrown back and forth and this kind of stuff. But there started to become kind of a communication happening there where it was becoming clear that there was an openness between us for the relationship to go farther. Now here I'm a young married guy, I'm a minister, I'm trying to get started, all this kind of stuff. And I was, on, I was on the verge of a decision that if I had made that decision, I would not be standing here today in front of you. I, I, I wouldn't be the head of the school. I wouldn't be, have done the things that I did in my lifetime. All that would have been lost. All at that moment, a young life, on a gray November season of that life, making a decision. And the decision was, am I going to enter into something with this girl or, you know, what's going to happen? And one day I was praying, and, I, you know, I wish I could say I was just filled with courage and boldness and did the right thing, but it wasn't the way it occurred. I was praying, and as I was praying, the Lord came to me, and he renewed my sense of purpose and vision. Before this moment, if I looked at my life, you know, this kind of gray November, there, you know, here was my life, all kind of gray November, and here was this girl. She was like, you know, like, like glitter, you know, like shining, like awesome, you know, like everything the rest of my life was not. And when God came to me and just began to minister in my heart, just spoke to me about his destiny for my life, that he had great things he wanted to do with me, that I was going to affect and touch the lives of many, many thousands of people. And he just began, all at once, this girl that had appeared to me so glittering, so fascinating, so awesome, you know, such a great thing, that thing that appeared to me, all at once that became gray and dark in the light of my destiny my purpose. It was such a strong feeling that I, I went immediately to my wife and I, I just 
got with her and I just confessed to her. I just said, you know, I've been feeling this temptation and I talked with her about it. And I went to my pastor and I told him, you know, I've been, I've been in this situation. I haven't done anything yet, but I'm, I, I, I could feel something happening. I feel a pull happening and I feel like I was close. And, and I confessed to, to them too. And I got saved basically from, from the devastation of a terrible decision, a decision that would have destroyed my ministry, destroyed my marriage, destroyed everything. I got saved. Why? Because I had a renewed sense of mission and destiny and calling. You see what I'm saying? God wants you to have a sense. He doesn't want you walking around with some beat down kind of view of yourself. He wants you to be filled that you have a purpose. You have a calling. You have a destiny. You have a mission. You have something that he wants to do with your life. And that, that, re, that, that realization is part of what can protect you in a time of temptation. He had that sense of self-respect. And another thing we see is he respected Potiphar's wife's position. He has withheld nothing from me, Joseph says, except you, because you are his wife. Uh, Another way he could have said it to her, doesn't who you are mean anything to you? Doesn't your position, he could have said that to her, right? As she was reaching out to him, he could have said, hey, don't you realize who you are? You're my master's wife. Don't you realize the position that you're in? I know you think, well, what difference does position make? I I know position has protected me over the years, you know. Right now, if if I was faced with a temptation like that, you know, you're in my mind. It's part of what keeps me. You know, I say to myself, well, if I did something like that, what would it do to the school? What would it do to the people that I care about and the people that, people that I love? If I just gave myself over to these things, what, what would it? And, and, and position, understanding, you know, your role, your place, you're a person of influence. That works as like a protection. It's one of the protections that was in Joseph's life. And then uh, D, we see he respects God. How could I do this great evil and sin against God? David says this when he, about his sin. He says, speaking to the Lord, he says, against you and you only have I sinned. Right? Even though he had taken um, Bathsheba and, and obviously had murdered her husband and all the, when, when he finally comes down to it, he stands before the Lord and he goes, against you and you only have I sinned. And that becomes a protection for him. And that was a protection for Joseph. He didn't want to do anything that was, gonna, that was an offense to God in his life. Okay, number three in your notes. Refuse sexual temptation flatly, immediately. Run from it. You know, many times people play with temptation. Flirty comments, different kinds of things. Uh, in your notes I put, strength is resisting temptation, but wisdom is not even going where temptation is. This is what Second uh, Timothy two twenty two, and this this you know as you're getting ready to go home, this is a big deal for some of you. Now flee from youthful lusts and pursue righteousness, faith, love, and peace with those who call on the Lord from a pure heart. You need to flee. You need to put protections into yourself, into your situation. I'll tell you what. 
I would much rather get rid of a personal computer. If I could not control my ability to utilize the internet and things like that and found myself going after them, I would much rather get rid of it and say, look, just give me my computer when I, when I, when I have to do homework or something like that, and then I'm going to turn it back in again. I, don't, I, don't, I can't, at this point in my life, I don't appear to have, I'd rather be without a cell phone. Oh my goodness, what am I thinking? I'd rather get rid of my cell phone if I could not control myself or put some kind of password, protect, do some, I would rather, I, 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 it's, a, it's a fight we have to, have to fight. And, you know, I'm thinking about, you know, when I'm reading all of these, there's just been, you know, uh, this whole hashtag me too thing and all these people. But when I read the stories, how many of the stories have you read where it said something like this? And he invited me up to his hotel room and I went to the room and then, you know, he did this to me or did that to me. How many of if you've read any of these stories, you've seen what's happening? I mean, over and over again, the same thing is repeated, that basically the person, I'm not saying the person who did the stuff was doing anything right. I'm not talking about that for sure. But, but the other person often put themselves into environments where things happen. You know, when, when you're around campus, I don't know if you've noticed it, but, you, you know, you don't ever see an office door without a window in it. You know? Uh, when, when I worked with college students, we had a rule among the students. You know, you never went into a room with a person of the opposite sex where the door was closed. You always left the door open. Just you never got into a situation like that where you were alone with somebody. That was, a, the, the, that was an accountability that we held each other accountable for to say, hey, look, we're just not going to, we're not going to put ourselves into that situation. I'm not saying it's the woman's fault. and the, the, I'm not, Don't get me what I'm saying. But what I'm saying is often we don't have accountable, accountable relationships and we put ourselves into situ, situations where our only protection is our willpower. I never put myself into a situation where my only protection is my willpower when it comes to anything sexual. Flee youthful lust. If the only protection on me in this situation is my willpower, forget it, right? It's the willpower plus the door is open. It's the willpower plus there's a mirror cut or a window cut in every door. It's the willpower plus, I always make sure it's my willpower plus something else, right? I'm not going to be, it's my willpower plus the fact I'm not going to your room. I'm sorry. You want to have an appointment with me or something like that, we can meet in the, ca in the cafe. I'm not going to your room. Right? It's, it's the willpower plus something else. Okay, number four. Sexual temptation is a day-by-day -day battle. Nobody gets out of this. Joseph is 27 years, a 27-year-old unmarried man. This is a day-by-day -day battle. This is a fight every person has to learn how to do battle and how to fight in. And it's just, it's just is what it is. This is the, 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 this is the thing. There's no getting around this thing. There's no like, I'm going to, you know, we need to battle it. We need to fight it. We need to work at it. Uh, need to set up the proper protections for ourselves. We need to say, hey, I got to do what I have to do. I can't be worried about what other people are doing. I have to do what I have to do. And I'm not putting myself in an environment where things can go wacky. Um, verse 11. Now, it happened one day that he went into the house to do his work, 
And none of the men of the household were inside, which apparently what was normal that was that there were other people there in the house. But he goes in. Maybe she had conspired or done something. I don't know. He goes into the house to do his work, and there's nobody else inside. And she caught him by his garment, saying, lie with me. And he left his garment in her hand and fled and went outside. And when she saw that he had left his garment in her hand and had fled outside, she's experienced, she's gotten so much rejection from this guy, she cannot handle it anymore. She called to the men of her household and said to them, See, he has brought in a Hebrew to us to make sport of us. He came into me to lie with me, and I screamed. And while he heard that I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled and went outside. And so she left his garment beside her until his master came home. And then she spoke to him with these words. The Hebrew slave who you brought to us came into me to make sport of me. And as I raised my voice and screamed, he left his garment beside me and fled outside. She's a perfect picture here of lust. What, what do we see when we think of lust? First of all, when lust has taken over a person, number one, first we see the word persuade. You know, the person will try and, when lust has taken over a person's heart, they will try and persuade you. My husband doesn't meet my needs. Uh, by doing this, you'll prove you care for me. You know, hey, if you do this, you show you really love me. Who will ever find out we're completely alone? No one will ever know. We can do this. This, just this once, never, never, never again. Just this once, we're just, we're just going here. So you see, persuade. And then when persuade doesn't work, it moves to force, to force something. And then often after force, there's this desire to destroy. I can show this to you in the Bible in many different places, but this will happen. Somebody who seems like they're like after you and they want you and all this kind of thing, and they'll persuade, persuade, and, and, and teeter into force. And then when the whole thing is over with, the way they actually treat you is with anger and rage and, and you become a living illustration of their complete lack of ability to control themselves. And they don't even want you around. Uh, verse 19. Now when his master heard the words of his wife, which she spoke to him, saying, This is what your slave did to me, his anger burned. And so Joseph's master took him and put him into the jail, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in the jail. Now just stop for a second here right now. We know what happened to Joseph with his brothers. He lost everything. Now he's rebuilt his life for a decade. He's given his very best to this guy. And now this woman has basically got him thrown into prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and extended kindness to him and gave him favor in the sight of the jailer. And the chief jailer committed to Joseph's charge all the prisoners who were in the jail so that whatever was done there, he was responsible for it. And the chief jailer did not supervise anything under Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made him prosper. So, you know, here's Joseph. You think, you know, I think to myself, when Joseph gets taken here, I'm thinking, well, something's going to come out. When I'm reading the story, I'm thinking something's going to come out to show that this guy, he's going to, the Lord is going to vindicate him. Here he's given 10 years and did his way. The Lord is going to vindicate him. Something's going to show this happened. But nothing comes out. 
I mean, talk about not understanding God. I can't imagine what Joseph was feeling. Nothing comes out, and he gets taken and thrown into prison, and yet as he's thrown into prison, the weird thing in this situation is he, he does not give in to that temptation that happens to all of us when something bad happens to use it as an excuse to allow ourselves to spiral into something evil ourselves. Do you know what I'm talking about? Have you ever done that? Fired from a job, so you go to a bar. Get a bad grade, so you scream at your roommate like they gave you the grade. Right? Somehow it gives you, there's this, you know, uh, you know, I fight with my roommate, so it's okay for me to hang out with some people who, who really don't help me to move forward. My car has a problem, so I complain against God. What I'm saying is there's this tremendous temptation all of us face is when we don't understand and something bad happens, and we don't see what's going on, what's going on, we take the something bad that happens as somehow a free pass that because something bad has happened to me, it's okay now for me to be stupid. And do something bad myself. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? Right? It's like, it's, like, it's like I owe myself something bad. Something bad's happened. Okay, God, that's the way you are about this. Okay, well, I'm going to do something bad now. Right? I owe myself because of the, of the way you have treated me. Because of what's happened. But here is Joseph. The guy blows my mind. Because he gets into this situation, and instead of allowing himself now again, I mean, I can understand the first time I say to myself, well, the guy is amazing, he was young, he kind of, you know, rose up out of the situation, he's taking advantage, he was 17, now, now he's 27, has given the best years of his life, poured himself into something, was diligent, and, you know, all these good attitude and all these things, and this is the way, this is what happens to him. He gets betrayed in the midst of it. And then he gets thrown into the jail. And instead of abandoning his integrity, instead of abandoning his diligence, instead of abandoning his, his positive attitude, instead of abandoning his prayer life, he commits himself, he renews himself again to all of those things. And even though he's in a dark, dungy, nasty prison, he rises up in the midst of that prison to the highest position that can be had there. Listen, my friends, maybe you didn't choose the situation you find yourself in. Maybe you don't really understand what God is doing. But you can choose to trust God. And to, you can choose, okay, I'm not going to let this situation I'm not going to let this circumstance determine the person that I am. I am a person of destiny. I'm a person of calling. My parents thought I was a mistake. People have treated me as if I was worthless. But God sent his son to die on the cross for me because he has something for me to do on planet earth. I am somehow a voice of his for the redemption of this nation and this world. And I will not allow myself to be dragged down by my circumstances. I don't understand what God is doing. But I believe God has a plan bigger than I can see. 
And I'm going to trust in the faithfulness of God. And I'm going to get up again tomorrow morning. And I'm going to keep a positive attitude. And I'm going to be diligent. And I'm going to be a person of integrity. And I'm going to keep doing, I'm not going to use any of this as a free pass to somehow live the kind of life, that, that uh, some sewer life. I'm not going to do it. I'm going to stay faithful to God in the midst of this, even though I don't understand what's happening. I'm telling you what, that is something. That's amazing, isn't it? Isn't that amazing? And Joseph had that. And you have Jesus Christ himself living inside of you. And I think you can, you can do it. You can rise up in the midst of whatever life delivers to you. There can be something inside of you that will not be held down. Though he fall, though he fall, he shall not be cast down. For the Lord upholds him with his hand. There's something inside of you that cannot be stopped. The resurrection power of Jesus Christ. If that same spirit that raised Christ from the dead, Paul says, is in you, he will quicken, give life to your mortal body to give you an ability to rise above your circumstances and rise above the situation that you find yourself in. Can you just bow your head right now? Just bow your head and your heart before the Lord. You know, God loves every person as if there were no one else to love. He loves you, daughter. He loves you, son. And God prepares every person as if there was no one else to prepare. You would not be on this planet if you did not have a destiny, if you didn't have a purpose. Somewhere in eternity, God saw something that needed to happen on planet Earth, and you were born. You were conceived. God has a destiny. Now, you may not understand what you're going through, but you can still choose God. You can still say, look, even though this whole thing is crazy, even though I don't get it, I don't get what's happening, I don't get why this is happening to me, I don't get what's going on, but I refuse to fall into that whole spirit that somehow something bad happens, it gives me an excuse to just, just throw off all restraint. Lord, we come to you right now. Just right where you are in your seat, if you just want to choose God, just, just do it right now where you are. Just say it. Lord, I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I choose you. I'm not going to give myself over to this other stuff. I choose you. I'm, uh, this thing that's pulling on me and trying to get me to lie down with it, I'm not going to lie down with that thing. I'm not going, I'm not going, I choose you. This difficulty that I'm facing, Lord, in the midst of it, 
I ask for that spirit of Joseph to be in me. Give me a spirit of integrity. Give me a spirit of diligence. Give me a spirit that will not be held down by what this world throws or casts at me. We thank you for it, Lord. We thank you for it. Lord, I just pray right now, uh, all my friends that are here that are um, going home right now, some of them are actually going to be facing sexual temptation. They're going to have to make some choices, put some guards in place, put some protections in place. They're going to have to decide they're not going to that room, they're not going to that place, they're not going to that situation because they just, they just will not make room. Maybe they'll even talk to somebody before they leave and say, ask me when I come back, did I, did I, did I stay faithful? They're just, going to, they're just setting their heart right now to fight the good fight. They realize the sexual temptation is for real. They realize there's no way out of it. Sexuality is part of life. But they want their sexuality to be God-honoring, Lord. They want it to, they want it to be glorifying to you. They want, they, they, they want to discover the power of their sexuality when it's been surrendered to you and given to you for your purposes. Lord, we thank you for it. We trust you for it. I ask you to strengthen every person right now. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Bless you guys. Have a great lunch and have a great Thanksgiving holiday, okay? Bless you.